We are back on the island for episode number 13 of season number 40 of the year 2020 of the month May, the fifth one. Those are all the numbers you need to know other than 5.5, which is the number of contestants remaining in Survivor Winners at War as we are down to our final five and one more is returning from the Edge of Extinction in next week's Edge Battle that we did not get this week. In its place, of course, we got a 10-minute trailer slash recap in the final 10 minutes of the episode, which was interesting. Anyway, I am your host... I need this podcast like Jeff needs a blue button-down in khakis. Taylor Gaines. And with me to talk about everything from this two-hour extravaganza and preview the finale, he sort of feels like he took a butter knife to a cream cheese spoon. It's Tyler B. Commons. I mean, but that's okay, because perception is everything. So, like, do you really need, do you really need that? Do I really need a real knife, not just a butter knife? I think you'd be fine. I've I seen what I'd you can fine. do on a basketball court. <laughs> You're wearing a shirt that says Beast Feast. People should be afraid. <laughs> That's how I play basketball. I, I, just, I guess you brought it up already. The montage. That's normally saved for the first opening sequence of the last episode. I, I didn't hate it. I, I'll say that, but... I feel like there might be some people tuning in for the last episode, and if that's not there, they're going to be like, oh, how did we get here? (laughs) Who are these people? I guess. Why is my friend making me watch this? I was more frustrated with, like, pretty much without fail for 40 seasons. The last 10 minutes of a Survivor episode is the most exciting and consequential part. And to be semi-robbed of that was confusing it was like what was the point of moving so quickly in this episode like the first tribal happened like 40 minutes in the second one happened with like 20 minutes to spare and i was like oh cool i guess we're gonna get the edge challenge this week but uh listener we did not no we didn't but it it, the season is tough because so many of the people on the edge like you wanted to see play the whole season like I said it. I wanted Ethan to play the whole season. Clearly that didn't happen. So it's like, why don't we get to see these people that we love? And it has created sort of a disjointed edit and way to like craft the season. Because we talk about the edge and advantages and how unfair that is. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But it just, it adds a whole other thing into the season that you have to make time for and normally you know you get an extra 10 minutes 15 minutes whatever dedicated towards the people still in the game so it's just kind of created like a a disjointed mess and i don't i like it because it's people that i liked and people i wanted to see like i wanted to see rob come back and play well and do his thing and once he's gone like i i'm still curious what's going on with rob so it's it's just created a tough spot for this season. It, it kind of tied its own hands in, like, you need to show these people even though they're really inconsequential. But they're all winners, but but they don't really do anything. Yeah, I would certainly not say that this episode was a failure or, unto- or unentertaining or anything. I just felt like... You said it was a confusing allocation of resources. When I heard we were going to have a two-hour episode, I thought we were going to get more content, and we just kind of didn't. But, you know, I I don't want to waste too much breath on the last montage thing because a lot of exciting stuff happened in this episode, and it's, you know, finally over. We'll get some closure on who's returning into the game next week with the challenge, and... We also got closure this week, Ty, on the fire tokens as they were, you know, eased out of the economy completely. And I wonder what you think. I mean, I'm going to get different 
Tyler B. Commons takes today, I imagine, because <laughs> we're recording in sunlight. I'm actually confused by how bright it is outside. Usually we record in in very much darkness. But uh, how does Daytai feel about the end of the fire tokens? And did you feel like they were worth it? I think that the concept is fine. I don't think that it was played out very well because we know that people on the edge of extinction have a lot more of a chance for the fire tokens, but outside of three people getting peanut butter, which they didn't even mention Natalie getting peanut butter, but she had peanut butter this episode, like, you didn't get to see the result of the coins. We heard about results, but, like, we didn't get to see a whole lot of it, and I think that that, for me, was disappointing, and like we said, they just are running out of room to show stuff happening. The, I think they could be fun. I think they could be something to use against others, you know, as far as, like, being able to bid on something. I don't like that you can extort people and throw disadvantages in the game when you're not in the game which again i think the bigger problem is the edge of extinction rather than the fire tokens i think the fire tokens have run their course i I don't know maybe next week we'll see a challenge where natalie has too many advantages with her 800 coins and triple advantage and free immunity idol but at the (laughs) same token i don't know what the challenge is and somehow Jeremy, with no time to get tokens, could win it. And fire tokens will then seem completely inconsequential. And this entire season makes no sense whatsoever. But the tokens, they don't bother me, but they need to be slightly more central and slightly less negative. <laughs> well, it's funny you said makes no sense, because I felt, as a reality show, they wound up being like, a buildup to nothing where they were used frequently throughout the season and people bought advantages and disadvantages throughout, but they built up to a moment where Jeff just casually mentioned, yeah, you know, more using these anymore. And I think I had hoped that collecting them, trading them throughout the season would mean something in the end. Like maybe we could do an old fashioned, auction but instead of get being given a hundred bucks by jeff you're just allowed to use whatever fire tokens you have i felt like there were just more creative and interesting things they could have done with them like obviously i like the aspect of using them to make edge part of the game like edge wasn't separate from the game so it, it does make it feel like the people there had an impact on everything that happened mm-hmm. but i just felt like they lacked a bit of intentionality yeah, they they seemed like an element that was thrown in but not executed well. Like it it was missing I guess like you're saying intentionality like it, it's a next level and it's like advantage apocalypse. You know, it almost feels like there's too many twists. I was actually reading an interview with uh unnamed cast member so i guess it's not really a full interview but but they were saying that this season has been so centered on advantages and disadvantages and not the people that this season kind of feels like it's lacking and i think in a way it's created a very good dramatic season that we've talked about it's been a really really entertaining season but it is almost lacking that personal, like, what are these people? We've gotten to hear about their lives post-Survivor, especially if they're on the edge and they talk about their kids and growing up and whatever. But on the season, like, the only real bit of personality drama we had was Jeremy and Ben, and we don't even know why that drama existed. So it almost feels like it's just a lot more focus on the game itself rather than the people playing the game. And I think that that is just another place that this season may have gone awry just a little bit is something like fire tokens not being executed well. Let me tease something out of what you're saying, because 
I'm getting a vibe from Daytai that I don't think I've quite gotten so far, which is like, are you all of a sudden more down on this season than you were in the past? Okay, well, let's, okay, let's break this down a little bit. So I feel like we've seen the entire season's story. And the entire season's story is clear as mud, essentially. There's a lot of people, and you know people are on top, and they keep editing Tony and Sarah yelling at each other, but they never actually dislike each other. Like, it's just, it's almost show-created drama. I will also say, I watched the first three episodes of Survivor ever this week in season Mm. one. And I know I talked about this at some point in the last few seasons, how it was just poorly edited and not good. But then I watched three episodes together and it was beautiful because it was just people arguing with people and it was personality and we got to meet people and hear who they were. And like, that was the season they used to have to have like follow a map to find the well, they used to have to follow a map to get to tribal council in the middle of like the night. Like they had, Jeff just waited for him. And whenever they got there, they got there. Like that was it. And I don't know that people want the show to return to that, but for me as someone who's been a fan for as long as I have been... For Daytime. For Daytime, it it kind of reminded me why I actually love Survivor. Don't get me wrong. Tony, Sarah, Ben, these people, like, I really like these people, and I think they are great at what Survivor has become. But I went back and watched an old-school season and was like, this is almost more entertaining because the people on it are more entertaining. Some hate each other just because they're completely wired differently. Now it's like, okay, we kind of hate them, but it could be a number. Like every talk is strategy. Now it's not about life and kids in the way you view building a shelter versus winning challenges versus butting heads with people. It's just, it's a totally different game now than it was then. And it's got me excited a little bit. I feel like that. Yeah. I feel like I want to go back and watch some old survivor because a conversation that's jumping out to me is one we had a couple seasons ago where we discussed the fact that this isn't Survivor anymore. Like, it's still a game show, and it's it's still entertaining. I, I Just to get my cards on the table, I liked a lot of things about last night's episode in particular and have enjoyed watching things winnow into the final five here, even though maybe you're alluding to this in a different way. Like, I don't feel like there's more than a couple standouts, even though I could see any of the five people remaining winning to a certain extent. But I do kind of miss those things you're talking about because, you know, it's sort of like you always just want the source and not the copy. Like, I, this isn't, a knock on the show Ozark, but like I've been watching it on Netflix the last few weeks. I just finished the first season. Have you seen the show, Ty? Oh, I've been Ozark fan since the beginning. Like when it came out, I watched it and I'm currently watching this season. I don't binge. I, I just yeah. don't binge watch shows. Three episodes of Survivor was like too much and I'm probably going to take a break in a few <laughs> weeks. So season three is slowly being watched. But yeah, I love the show. Yeah, so just to solidify my status as... Uh, our status as as old men i similarly have have parsed out the first season of ozark over the last five to six weeks and i find that at least at the end of season one i just want to go watch breaking bad i'm kind of like okay he's starting this show where breaking bad like gets to in like the middle of it and i i don't feel as inspired by this type of story when i've already seen the best version of it and that that's sort of a hot takey ish example but like i say all this to say that like what we're watching now feels like a show inspired by survivor rather than survivor yeah which isn't always bad no it's not bad and like we've both said this this season has been fantastic it's been ups and downs it's been yeah i mean when they played that montage I was like, wow, there were so many great moments this season. Yeah, and it's people we love, and it's like, it's a game that we love, and it, it's just, it's has been a great season, but Survivor almost feels 
like it's getting into a trap of one-upping itself every year. Instead of just continuing to give us great casts that propel the show, it's almost like, well, we can get this B-list cast member, but if we put a twist in here, they might just be an A-list, you know? like, And that's not to say there's been big personalities on this current season, but that's just partially what I'm feeling after seeing an entire, well, after seeing a few episodes of a season that they didn't know what they were doing and they were only filming people interacting and people arguing and people fighting. And like, it, it does sort of feel like a washed out replica in some ways. Yeah. And like, to your point, they have a lot of great personalities on this season and that has been carrying it in a lot of ways. Like the previous season storytelling is filling in the gaps for a lot of things that we're not getting this season like we're getting allusions to sarah and tony having a long time rivalry one person winning one season one person winning another this one's the tiebreaker and michelle trying to prove people wrong after her original win and things like that but for the most part they're just relying on these personalities and letting them tell the story through the chaos and it has obviously made it feel chaotic at times but you know it's it's like you're saying you you can only mutate a show so many times before it runs out of directions to go. Because in the first ones, they're trying to figure out how the game works. Then later on, people are reacting to the way the original people played. And then people react to that. And before you know it, like you can only twist it up so much strategy-wise and, and even presentation-wise that you know pe- people are going to fall for the same playbooks over and over again. Like... Nick had a classic I'm in the best shape of my life episode tonight <laughs> and found himself losing. Yeah, it's it's really difficult to keep something alive for 40 seasons that they've done as they have done and beyond. Like it's really tough to keep something showing and I think it's even tougher the longer a show goes to find a balance of innovation and then also sticking to old themes because this show just on the face of it looks different. We don't get to see tree mail anymore. We don't get to see an opening montage of who everybody is. Thankfully, they cut out something like the final three lighting a torch for everybody or wacky just answer <laughs> oh. questions about your survivor castmates in order to win immunity. Or They added like Edge instead. <laughs> they did add Edge, but there's been... Survivor's a show that I think is innovating and I think it's innovating in really fun ways. I just think that it is tough and I don't know if it's reaching the end of its life cycle, but I don't think there's ever going to be close to it season 80. Yeah, it seems unlikely. Granted, I I never thought we would see like a day 80 of quarantine, but you know, here we are. We're headed there. I, I actually thought this episode was interesting in reflecting the time that it came out because I don't know if they went back and re-edited things or if it just so happened this way, but there were a couple moments in this episode that felt geared towards a quarantine audience. Like, when Tony and Jeremy were debating what day it was and they were... Tony was like, I don't know, I mean, nine days, that's that's two weeks. And Jeremy's like, that's nine days. And he's like, ah, it's two weeks. And I... It was funny, but I also was like, yeah, I tr- also have no idea what day it is or how many days it's been since the last nine days ago. <laughs> the last nine days ago. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun, and I-, I thought that it was really interesting. Oh, gosh, how did they talk about it? So Tony said nine days, that's two work weeks. Like, yeah. And Jeremy said nine days, that's <laughs> that's a week plus two days. you know. And I think it's interesting to see that some people are viewing this game as a game and some people are viewing it as work. And I don't know if that's yeah. reading into it too deeply, but it, it's it's interesting to see because Tony's like, no, those are days off. Like, it was whatever, man. I don't care what's happening. And then other days he's like full in. And it, it was fun to see just the different approach, even by winners, even on day 30. Like, just seeing the different way they're handling the stress. And, yeah, they don't know what day it is. They don't know who's voting out. They don't. No one knows anything this season. But it's also, like, really entertaining because it's two really great players that everybody loves going head-to-head in a way. I also kind of wished that was something we saw 
I think we've complimented the show for doing this occasionally throughout this season, but like more of the camp life stuff, just kind of informing what you know about the characters. Like obviously we talked about Sarah and the fashion show a few weeks ago, things like that. But uh, I enjoyed that sequence for that reason. The other quarantine-esque thing that happened was Amber being like, yeah, when you're just trapped in this island for so long, you have no idea of what it feels like to, to be normal. And how, how has it only been a month? I feel like I've been here for forever. And that was kind of funny to me also. Yeah, and I think she has a good a good point to that. Like, it, when you're separated from everything and everyone, which clearly we're not because we're sitting on a Skype call, like, doing a podcast on a TV <laughs> show that's still going on. She's on an island in the middle of Fiji. Yeah, tomato, tomato. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely geared... I, I don't know. It's been good to see that even people who have played the game before the game still changes you every time you go out there well so that was another interesting thing that they talked about in this episode particularly at the first tribal i believe which was the trust issues that arise from playing survivor which frankly is something i don't know that we've ever talked about even with our guests and I am fairly confident it's something the show has never talked about. And it's this idea that, like, they all go home after they play and feel like they can't trust people in their day-to-day lives. Who's lying to me? Who's not? Ben talked about his wife, who <laughs> he has credited on the show f- for saving his life when he came home from war and had ptsd and stuff and he said she carried him through and he he said even she he felt he couldn't trust at times because of playing this game and it's overwhelming to think about and i i i guess a nice reminder that you know i think nick said this during the tribal council that like these are not just cardboard pieces of cardboard playing out the string it's like these are real people trying to play a social game yeah it's definitely tough because a lot of people only think about like the physically difficult parts of survivor of like not eating anything sleeping outdoors blah 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 but it's also like emotional because just how can you in real life, you don't choose to hang around with people you can't trust for 40 straight days. Like, that's not a thing that you would ever choose to do. And in another way, it it almost is a different kind of PTSD. I think they actually did a good job. Um, ben talked about it on his first season at one point when the fire was crackling. In this episode, they actually showed the fire crackling, some leaves, and Ben getting up and leaving. They didn't mention it, but I thought that, that was something that they showed. But it was kind of a good theme running through that first episode of how difficult emotionally it is to play a game like this where like even look at Tony and Sarah like they are each other's number one and they're sticking together but there's some days where it's like they are just so mad at each other that they can't stand to look at each other and Sarah says you sunk my game and Tony's like no 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 just listen just listen 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 I was up in my spy nest and blah 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 blah, I guess that feels like life a little bit at least because the thing that you're talking about, too, is when you have 10 friends in real life, you don't have to vote one of them out every three days. And, it, like, because you're saying, what if you don't like people or don't trust people? Like, even if you do, it's such a surreal, bizarre experience. And I can't imagine it doesn't affect you when you come back. <laughs> I feel like I'd be on this Skype call right now, like, how do I know Ty's telling the truth? Maybe he's... Got, he's saving his real takes for his other podcast with Night Tie. Yeah, uh, Off the Island. It's my personal podcast. You can find it on any streaming platform. <laughs> That's a lie. I don't have one of those. <laughs> oh, gosh. But, yeah, like a heavily thematic episode. Stuff that I enjoyed. I loved the transition from that back into the game and a pretty intense tribal with Michelle playing the 50-50 for herself. We can talk a little more about that. And, uh... Yeah, you know, it's been a really good season, especially in relation to the infamous season 39. 
which I actually don't even remember the theme of at this point. I think it was Dan versus the world, something like that. <laughs> Dan, Dan in real life. Yeah, something like that. Oh, it, it has been a good season, and it's been really nice to have a clean season of all people we enjoy coming back, especially on the heels of tragedy that was season 39. Yeah, well, let's talk about some of these people that remain in this ep. Nick and Jeremy were sent home. Which brings me to what I want to do for the rest of our episode, which is power rank the top six people for the final episode, five of the remaining and one from the Edge of Extinction. Because I'd like to start with my number six, who factors into both of these vote outs, and that's Michelle. I feel that she has been much more aware of what's going on than she gets credit for, but has also been cut off at the knees constantly and has not really had the chance to make a move for the last couple weeks. I think, honestly, she lost a long time ago when she started throwing her vote behind whoever the majority was each and every time and clearly was just sort of following the waves. But you look at the Jeremy vote out, and that was sort of the pivot point for her in these like final moments of her having a chance, which was trying to convince Nick to vote with her and Jeremy to take out Ben and obviously deciding at the last minute to play the 50-50 coin for herself, which, you know, worked out because if she didn't, it would have been a tie between her and Ben and the votes and she probably would have been voted out on revote. But Jeremy went home because of that. And the most telling moment of the episode to me was her confronting Nick afterwards and saying, hey, dumbass, we just lost because of you. And him being clueless about that fact up until he got voted out. Because, you know, she was right. (laughs) I, I said this during the episode and I'm saying it now, like, Nick really just blew it. And, and yeah, Nick has had a very odd game in that he went crazy for like two weeks where he just wanted to play and he wanted people to make moves and wanted to play it kind of like he had. And he really messed up. I want to backtrack just a little bit because when we went into the first tribal and Jeremy went home and it did sink Michelle and Nick's games respectively, I'm sitting here screaming at my screen why don't Jeremy, Michelle, Nick, and Denise get together and dethrone the Ben, Tony, Sarah? Like, I don't understand why that's not an option. And I wish that Jeremy could have seen it. Perhaps Michelle saw it, but like you said, she's been cut off at the knees the whole time. I don't I don't know why that four couldn't get together. I don't know why Jeremy didn't see it. And, and like you're saying, Michelle, I don't think is necessarily a bad player strategically. I just think she's never found herself in an alliance as much as she's been sort of dragged along in an alliance. And I don't know if that's because she's not the strong voice that everybody listens to. I don't know if she talks... I I don't know. I don't know if it's because she's unrelatable, but it was... was, I think she is a good player... But yeah. something about the way she interacts with people, maybe it's because she talks about not trusting guys giving her directions to bars when people are talking about not trusting their wife or not trusting their family. Like, it's just almost, it doesn't click. And I think that her game, I think she is a good player. I just think she struggles relating to people as well, much as she thinks she really is relating to people. It's interesting you say that, though, because I think she basically won her season because of how she related to people like she played the social game so well that she won in a moment that we might have felt she didn't deserve to based off of like gameplay alone but I think like it's interesting to make that comparison because this season has definitely shown to me that she's more than capable to hold her own on like the strategy gameplay side Mm-hmm. And like you said, maybe she's had a harder time socially with this group of winners. But, you know, even though I have her ranked number six, 
I think she certainly proved that she belonged in this group. And, you know, I, I am happy that she got to make it as far as she did and that she got to have such a great moment in this episode of failing miserably at the first immunity challenge and then coming in and straight up winning the second one and literally saving herself and making Nick realize uh, physically the error of his ways. Yeah, that that was a great moment seeing her come back after being so far behind in the first one. Uh, For me, I have her at five. I don't have a top six because I didn't rank anybody from the edge, unlike uh, my counterpart here. So for me, Michelle is number five. So I think we both really see her in kind of that bottom rung of the ladder. But I don't I don't know if it's through any fault of her own because I think she did see a way forward, but it just no one else was willing to hop on that train. Yeah, I think if Nick had made the decision differently in the first half of this episode, we could be having a conversation that like Michelle does have a chance to win, but right now she's kind of the only person I have a hard time seeing getting votes at the end out of the people remaining. So it's tough, but she lost two key people in this episode and you know there's not a lot you can do at this point other than just survive and at this point like making it to final three would be a win oh for sure she i mean if she somehow sneaks her way into final three she could make the same argument and hope that the jury hates someone else that's out there you know so (laughs) i think that's well she could win the exact same way that she won her last season (laughs) You mentioned the jury hating someone, and I think it is a good transition to my number five, which is Ben. I feel like this has been such a bizarre edit of Ben compared to the like underdog hero fighting against everyone else edit that we got in his first season, where basically every time they've shown him talking to someone, he's just been like abrasive and talking down to them and not taking them seriously and very clumsily trying to... <clears throat> cause duplicitousness and, and 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 like backstabbing where like he's exposed instantly constantly but sarah and tony are playing him like a fiddle making him think that their ideas are his ideas and string him along in their alliance as they just roll their way to a final two showdown and i i don't know if we're getting a specific edit that might look differently to people on the jury but they've shown clips of the jury not receiving him well, and he just feels like he's been pulled along on Tony and Sarah's coattails the entire time. And I I could see him getting votes, having a chance to win, but he's definitely the longest shot to me outside of Michelle. Yeah, and for that same reason, I have him at four. I really liked Ben on the season that he won. And I think if you would have asked me preseason, he and Sarah were probably my two favorite of the new school people that I thought would have a chance because Ben was making a very distinct push to play a social game. And I don't know, I almost feel like his social game this season has been edited to be abrasive because his strategic game isn't as good. Because he's not willing to listen to people on strategy and he's not willing to flip-flop plans. And I think that has been his abrasive side. Not necessarily his personality, but his strategy is keeping him kind of distant from everybody else and the way he's handling it. Obviously, he handled Jeremy pretty terribly for the past week and a half and we don't really know exactly why. But I think Ben is going to have a tough time moving forward. But if he could somehow sneak into the top three, again, he could make the argument that I hid behind. I helped make calls. Obviously, the edit we're seeing at home is making it look like Tony and Sarah are playing in like fiddle. But I think he has an argument for why he played this game well. He got in an alliance, which he was never able to do on his first season. And he, I think he's doing the things that he wanted to do. And I really think it's people relating to his strategy not well, rather than people relating to him on a personal yeah. level not well. I think he's got an argument, but he has to take Sarah and or Tony out in order to get there. And, you know... to 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 the discussion we've been having on and off about him throughout this season like 
Rob just eviscerated him in the first episode. And Sarah Jedi mind tricked him into thinking going after Nick was his idea in this episode, which was just a masterclass in just being a survivor mob boss. But to his credit, after we got to see Rob do that, he brought that into his strategy and did the same thing to Nick two weeks later. So he's learning and he's growing, but... I, I, yeah, but he's learning I and he's growing he's, into an old school player, and I don't <laughs> see how that works. It is, it is tough, but I think his edit... And this could just be because I like Ben. I think his edit has been worse than he has been. I think they had to pick somebody to be abrasive and a villain. And because his gameplay is abrasive, that leads us to thinking his personality is abrasive. Yeah, that's probably right. Because, you know, the moment at Tribal where he talked about the trust issues and stuff was like, that was the Ben I remembered. And I was like, okay, this guy's cool. I mm-hmm. like this guy. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. But him and Michelle feel like the furthest away to me probably her much further than him but that brings me to my number four which is going to take us on a slight detour my number four is natalie (laughs) but she's not playing the game taylor it's not in my heart to do this it's just in my brain i watched the last edge of extinction season and saw people overrate incredibly the actions of the person who returned to play for four hours and i feel like it could happen again here I would bet a lot of money that she's going to win the edge challenge because she has so many advantages and is also the most athletic person there. And I just think like the story she could tell is the kind of story that would appeal to a specific jury. And uh, I could see it happening even though I'm not a huge fan of it. I think that, so obviously I didn't include an edge person in my top five. I do think that she probably has the best chance of coming back just because if you were, if you were to pick, you would pick her. Yeah. You have to pick her or you have to pick Tyson. Who's now been there for a little while and has an idol. If he gets back in the game, I just, I struggle to see them making the same mistake they did with Chris because when Chris came back in the finale and had to play much harder than everyone else the last three days he did that and he did the absolute best he could with the time that he was allowed to play and I don't just see this group handing a victory over to someone on edge I want to say that the integrity of the game of these winners I want to believe (laughs) that they're not going to hand a winner to somebody that has played even less than Chris played because Chris wasn't the first one voted out. So if you give it to Natalie, who would have played a grand total of five days when she comes back, I I don't think that any winner is going to truly be okay with that. Except for maybe bitter old Rob or something. I don't know. I would hope not, but, you know, I just... I'm not willing to be as comfortable saying that as I was last time. <laughs> and they've spent so much time on her story that, you know, who knows? I, and I like, she could probably already make a better argument than Michelle. So I, I just don't know what to, what to do with it. I think the thing that bugs me about it the most is that it's not fair. Like the, the system isn't fair. Mm-hmm. Because if you had a double elimination bracket for like a little league tournament, the later you lose, the easier it is to get back into the winner's bracket, right? I Whereas so. she has been out the longest, but has the easiest chance of getting back in because she's been out the longest. And like that is just, that just doesn't make sense. It's like not right. And I find that frustrating. It is. And I don't want this to just devolve into a negative edge of extinction. They already said it's not going to be back at least for a while until they figure something out. But my final say, edge of extinction is broken. Edge of extinction does need to go go away. And it would be a great service to the survivor community. (laughs) if Natalie doesn't win this season. 
Okay, that's all we have to say about that. Let's get to the top three. I uh, imagine that I know who your number three is. My number three is Denise. Yeah, same here. The Queen Slayer. I, I think that she's played actually a very, very good game. But it could just be because she seems a little bit older than everyone else left. And this could just be my bias. It seems like she's on the outside because you... I have her ranked higher than Ben, but Tony, Sarah, and Ben seems like the three that are just going to waltz to the final. And I think Denise I think I've just been more impressed better... by Denise's game than than Ben's. Yeah, I think she has a better argument to win the game, but it doesn't mean that she's in the best position to win the game, which I, I think kind of stinks for her. I don't know what she could pull out. She could win immunity. She could stay there. She could somehow rally the edge person and Michelle and even Ben possibly to get rid of a Tony or a Sarah and then increase their chances instead of our top two looking like they're just going to waltz with it. I think she has to somehow flip the tide because I don't see Tony or Sarah taking her to the final if they can avoid it because she does have that resume. And they've left the door open from a storytelling perspective. They showed her buying the rice this week and sort of playing into the plan. She's She's been tight with several people throughout. She's made moves, obviously. Her, her biggest proponent on the jury p- perhaps would have been Sandra, so maybe that hurts. But, yeah, it's tough. There's not a ton to say about her other than that she's just played a quiet but, like, really strong game. And similarly to everyone else we've talked about, she needs Tony and or Sarah to get out soon for her to have a chance yeah and it's funny we say she's played a quiet game voting out sandra and double idol and then playing double agent this episode saying well i'm the easy vote whatever at least let me eat rice so i can fight back into the game you know like she's not playing a quiet game but the edit is definitely leading it to she's a b-list character with these top two A-list celebrities, air quotes, still around. Well, let's talk about the A-list characters, because I think we can only really talk about them together. So tell me which one you put number one and which one you put number two. I have Tony number one, Sarah number two. And I think that Tony and Sarah, maybe in their eyes, are like a Wendell and a Dom where either one of them could be number one. Arguably, Tony would be Dom in that he has been the vocal leader. He has been the one talking to people. We got to see him talking to Jeremy a lot. We've got to see him trying to smooth things over with Ben. We've seen him talking to Nick, Denise, and and the way he's interacting with people, setting up the spy nest. He's more bombastic. He just, He's gotten the edit of edits as far as winner, but also Sarah's game is be more quiet and steady and win through that way. So I think they've both played their game the way they want to play, but Tony, just by nature of who Tony is, is more visible, and I think the jury can see that. And especially when people voted off say, look, Tony and Jeremy are at the top, blah, 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 because they just get to hear what the people voted out say. Tony, Tony, I think, is solidly number one on my list but I think it really is going to come down to if they in fact do make it to final tribal what is their argument because I think they both got to play the game that they wanted to play yeah here's the real difference is Tony had maybe the greatest episode of all time and I just don't know how Sarah could beat him in the end because of how single-handedly he destroyed everyone in that episode just like finding an idol winning immunity taking out a person on his own basically it was like just next level from a person who is known as chaotic and i'm starting to think his reputation is actually like outsized for how good he is like in the sense that people view him as chaotic and hard to control but he's very controlled he just like doesn't sound like it because he is kind of goofy and, and loud. But, I mean, he's been in control of himself and the game just throughout. 
But Sarah has been too. She just hasn't had like a big move that is credited solely to her in the way that he has. I think like the Wendell Dom comparison is good because I would be happy with either of them winning, but I'm excited to watch this last episode because I feel like whoever turns on the other first is really going to be the one who pulls it off. Yeah, and I think you talked about the fashion show earlier. It seems like Sarah may have slightly more social capital where Tony has more gameplay capital. And you never know... We, we talked about old school Survivor versus new school Survivor. You never know if Tony's sort of gameplay strategy talking to people through that way or Sarah. I talked about her secret scene with Kim last week. Just the way she's interacting with people and befriending people is going to win her the season, which is what won Wendell the season because he well, got... He got the vote because he made the one key friend in a tied season. The other thing about Wendell is how confident he was. And Sarah is also so confident. And she even talked about that in this episode, saying, like, when you're a cop, you have to talk confidently and know exactly what you're saying so people will sort of allow you to do your job. And there's never been a moment this season where she's wavered, like... She got mad at Tony once, but like other than that, she just is so comfortable with her alliance and with herself that even when Michelle is like, hey, Tony's going to beat you, she just walks up to Tony and is like, Michelle just told me you're going to beat me. Like She's so confident that it's, it's un- unbelievable. I actually think she's getting like under-edited for how cool of a character she is. And uh, I- I'm just excited to see them two duke it out, hopefully. Yeah, I, w- I would be thrilled to death if those two both made it to final three but like we said if denise or ben or michelle or natalie in your case really wants a chance (laughs) to win it one of those two has to go home and i i'm interested to see if they are as ride or die as they say or if one is going to turn on the other in order to win the prize and i I have a hunch they're actually ride or die. Just by seeing That'll all be the blowups they've had at each other. But they're still strong through it. I, this, is, this is actually something that I've wanted to see for a long time in a game. Is people get together day one and say, you're my ride or die. Even when things don't look like you're my ride or die. And they can hold true to that. And I think in a season of all winners where people interact outside of the show so much versus an entirely new cast and people saying that, where we talk about you don't trust them. I think Tony and Sarah have that trust outside of the game because they've known each other for six years that even when Tony blindsides Sophie, they're still ride or die. And I think that that has been one of the best themes we've gotten to see from these two people through the whole season is even when they piss each other off, it doesn't matter because they both know they're going to take each other to the end. Yeah, like you said, all of our best entertainment features the theme "Ride or Die." You know, Ghost Survivor Three. I hear it's Fast out. and Furious, <laughs> Too Fast, Too Furious, Fast and Furious to- Tokyo Drift, <laughs> The Fast and the Furious. That's the fourth one. Fast Five, whatever the sixth one was called. All of them, Ride or Die. <laughs> Ride or Die. You always owe me a ten-second car. Yeah. Well. We live our lives a quarter of a podcast at a time. So I think we've hit the last quarter. My rankings, Tony 1, Sarah 2, Denise 3, Natalie 4, Ben 5, Michelle 6, and Ty's rankings. Michelle 5, Ben 4, Denise 3, Sarah 2, Tony number 1. Ooh, I like how we did them in reverse order. So those are our power rankings, obviously, but... Give me your prediction. Who's going to win Survivor Season 40? Who's going to pull it out? Uh, I'm going to go with my gut from the beginning of the season. I think Sarah's going to win it. I'm going to go with Tony. I think mainly because I want Sarah to win because I've been enjoying her slightly more. And usually when I want something, the other thing happens. So Tony's my pick. (laughs) Yeah, especially in a show where you think one thing going into Tribal, then everybody talks and nothing changes. Or you think one thing going in tribal, everybody talks and everything changes, and you never know. It started with a whisper. 
That was when I kissed her. You remember that song? <laughs> yes, I do remember that song. <laughs> I just You said everybody talks so many times that I just couldn't help it. Mm. So there you have it. Week 13, Survivor Season 40, Winners at War. That's pretty much everything. A lot of stuff happening and a lot of stuff yet to happen. Jeff Probst said this next week's episode will be pretty close to three hours because... The reunion show had to be altered so severely due to COVID-19 and the restrictions of gatherings of people in places and such. So I think that's actually a great thing. I think we will probably enjoy that more than the traditional reunion show, which has been slowly cut down and down and down and down over the years anyway. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to one heck of three hours. I was just thinking about it today. We get five hours in the last two weeks, and it's crazy. Twelve total hour, no, eleven total hours before that. So we literally get half a season in the last two weeks. Yeah, that's unbelievable to think about. Unbelievable, but it's, I love it. It's gonna be great. We'll uh, be back here next week to cover everything from the conclusion and to send everyone off into their whatever the summer is going to look like here in the US of A. Um, we did hear from our good friend Ernest out in New Zealand. He said things are good there. Me and Ty are going to move there, set up shop with Ernest. It seems easier. Just get and, off the uh, grid. You know, we'll never understand why we were so popular around here, but that's where we'll be. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Am I doing that? <laughs> Oh, you can do whatever you want. I'm done here. Uh, na 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 na. <laughs> <laughs> um, I recommended carrots a few weeks ago. Oh, interesting. You have a new rec for us? Try cooking bacon in an oven rather than a skillet. Delicious. Mm. That's it. <laughs> there you have it. My recommendation is cut your toast diagonally, not horizontally. Until next time, I'm Taylor Gaines. He's Tyler B. Commons. This has been On the Island. Bye. Good at making these things up as well. <laughs> that is right.